This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This podcast is part of the Robots Radio Rocket Club, a program designed to help all podcasts reach their full potential. For information about joining the Robots Radio Rocket Club, check out robotsradio.net. Three, two, one, mark. Three, two, one, mark. Hey everyone, and welcome to the MCU Lorecast. I'm Captain Shanko. And I'm Psych88. As we've said before, there are worse places to be than the middle ground. And this one finds itself in the unique situation of being one of the really fun ones. Oh yeah. Um, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 is... It's... Well, it came out in the summer of Daddy Issues, um, but it's also just a fun... It, or it has the capability of being a fun movie. It's got its moments, not all fun in games, but it's, it's pretty good. Uh, story's great. All about family. Um, sorry, that was a terrible Vin Diesel approach, but it really doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> all in all, it's a pretty good movie. Uh, and in fact, it rated you know my top top three fights so yeah i like it guardians of the galaxy volume too fast too furious <laughs> ouch. <laughs> ouch. i'm sorry before we start hurting our listeners uh genesis remind us all real quick that if you're looking for a spoiler free zone sorry lovelies you are in the wrong place thanks jen we appreciate you very much and so where do we begin with guardians volume two but in the past psych would you like to do the honors (laughs) sure i I swear it's like crack at this point for marvel movies they just can't help themselves but start with a flashback anyway here we are it's missouri 1980 we have a dh and it holds up still pretty well uh kurt russell and Meredith Quill riding around in the countryside of Missouri and he's taking her to show her his uh, space project out in the woods uh, considering it's 1980 and things happen about eight years later it's things something else was also shown I think at that point so 
but we we get to we we see the start of whatever it is ego is going to try to do and then we pop to the present again yeah uh proboscis is aside <laughs> remember how quill wasn't 100 percent human at the end of guardians one well yeah we we find out in this film what that other half is and we'll get to that as we progress through this movie so in 2014 the team the guardians as they are now known the guardians of the galaxy are protecting these super valuable batteries from obelisk an interdimensional monster that wants to eat these batteries and they have this great epic battle with the monster and baby Groot is just a vibin so it's it's like a classic team building fight we see Drax decide that he's going to um, Jonah, the monster. <laughs> <laughs> no, Drax, it's not thinner just because you're attacking it from the other side. If anything, it's thicker. But Drax, Drax is a simple man. For certain. And the reason they have agreed to get these batteries is because they are bargaining for Nebula. Gamora's stabby, angry, vicious blue sister. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that pretty much uh, wraps up her entire personality right there. <laughs> She's what happens when you cross a blueberry, a honey badger, and Ronda Rousey and shave it bald. <laughs> anyway, um, it, it doesn't go very well because as soon as they leave, they. The sovereign, uh, the the people that the that had hired the guardians to protect these batteries, send ships after them because Rocket has some sticky fingers and he's pulled some batteries, and so now they're all wanted for death. You know, uh, we get a nice big space fight, and the crew can't you know keep their collective wits uh, between them together. And they end up crash landing on a, a jump after a jump point on another planet after being saved by a one-inch man, as Rocket claims it. And then the one-inch man appears. Obviously, he's not. It's a big white ship and lands with them. And it has revealed that this man is Ego, and that is Quill's father. And he is accompanied by his assistant servant slave mantis yeah so they're mm, kind of invited voluntold to come to the planet but rocket and groot stay behind in order to repair the ship and to guard nebula also a small little side plot gamora has some fruit it's not ripe yet nebula really wants that fruit i mean she's hungry eh. meanwhile Yet another blue alien, played by Michael Rooker, Yondu, has been hired by Aisha. They've been exiled from the Ravagers for child trafficking. Because, you know, yeah. Apparently the Ravagers have at least a code when it comes to children. You don't steal children. Adults! People trafficking, perfectly fine. But kids? Kids are a no-no. And what did Yondu do? That. (laughs) Uh, he delivered children for ego for years mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and yondu doesn't want to hand over quill because he raised him 
they they capture Rocket. You you know, like whatever. You can take the rabbit or whatever he calls him and Craglin <laughs> uh, questions his you know, his objections and Taser face. <laughs> Taser face <laughs> Uh yeah, he leads a mutiny, aided by our friend Nebula, who who gets her fruit, but uh not right yet. Yeah, you know, Rocket's got himself a nice little standoff with the Ravagers, and he he holds them off pretty well until uh, Yondu decides to step into it. And then, who gets free, thanks to Baby Groot's um, assistance, um, pushes it in favor of Taserface and his mutinous side by literally just exploding the mohawk that Yondu's got. That pretty much ends the stalemate. And the mutinous crew wins, which does not go very well for the not-mutinous crew. Kraglin never intended to start the mutiny, um, but it frees Rocket and Yondu, and they use the arrow, destroy the ship, and escape. Taserface is unfortunately able to warn the Sovereign before dying. (laughs) Because Marvel just loves to waste people and characters. We've been here before, people. I mean, Taserface was a villain to be wasted, okay? <laughs> like, You don't want to hear the continued saga of Taserface? Not really. <laughs> I did. And I, I have to admit, I love that scene of them breaking out of the, out of the cell and everything. Uh, set to uh, that, that song, uh, which name is completely escaping me right now, but it doesn't matter. Um, it's just, it's, just got that great energy to it as Yondu literally cuts ties with his his whole life. Because mm-hmm. unfortunately, any of the crew that had sided with him is already dead. So this crew that he is now just murdering are no longer his. So now he's completely cutting ties with any one of the Ravagers that would have had anything to do with his old life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's choosing Quill, he's choosing his family, he's choosing the kid that he raised, and that's a really beautiful right. thing. And <clears throat> I think even more, it shows even more how much Yondu cares, because at this point, uh, you know, Quill's met his biological father, and he now is starting to have a relationship with him, and uh, this comes into play a little bit later. Yeah, because while, uh, while Yondu is literally putting holes in his old crew and blowing up his old ship and all that stuff. Except for Craglin, who comes around. Back with the other crew, uh, with the rest of the Guardians, they are on Ego. Or, they're on Ego's planet, and they he explains that he is also the planet, in a very convoluted kind of way. And he's showing Peter kind of how to harness the light that makes him part, uh, you know... Makes him more than human. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and celestial. That he's a celestial, and the the joy that ego has in seeing Peter harness the light really should have been one big red flag. Like he was so excited, and that is because it, yeah, um, he's got a nefarious plot. Uh, basically, he's going to turn his son into a giant battery. Well, I believe he was trying to do it together, then you know, things happened. But um, 
where I was kind of going was um, Nebula also manages to get back and, and goes on to fight Gamora, and they have a little sister drag-out, knock-out fight. But they eventually discover the remains of all of other, like, all the other children Ego has had. And there are thousands of bodies in this little hole on Ego. Yeah, and it's a little bit dark because he goes on to kind of explain that he did this across so many species and so many galaxies and planets with so many different uh, people and partners because he was trying to make that combination that would be able to uh, terraform a new world with him. And the first one to succeed was Quill. And unfortunately, because of Yondu's decision to not deliver this one, uh, because he had been responsible for years for delivering a lot of those children to their deaths, uh, and not wanting to do that for the one he got a little um, soft for. You know, he he's this hard mercenary, ravager, criminal, but he's just kind of fond of this kid. Yep. Those darn kids, they'll get you every time. Mm-hmm. And, of course, as you can imagine, Quill is uh, not so keen on using his powers in order to uh, create this new thing that his dad wants to do. So, Ego's gonna force him, and he reveals that, you know, hey, uh, you know that tumor that killed your mom? That was my, that was my deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it just, it just killed me to do it to her. And, like, up to that moment, he had put Quill under this, uh, this power, this sway. He had shown him the wonders and vastness of the universe. And in that singular moment, you saw a child's pain and rage come back to full. And it completely shatters any control Ego had over him, and he just starts blasting. Just... And anyway, I started blasting. <laughs> Precisely. I, that was... To me, it's... It's one of the best scenes in the movie. Is is just his reaction. There are no words. There, there's nothing that could be said there. It is an action. And I love it. But I'm a sucker for a dramatic, tense scene, so... Yeah, um, so meanwhile, Mantis has become friends with Drax and warns him of Ego's plans to consume every world, and Gamora, Nebula, and the rest of the team arrive, and they find out the plan as well, and so they go to rescue Quill, and after they reunite the Guardians, they travel to Ego's brain at the core of the planet. Because that, yeah, um, comic book science. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, comic book science. Comic book science! Yeah, so during the journey, Yondu comes clean and he reveals that he didn't turn over Quill to spare him because he knew what happened to Ego's other kids. And then the Sovereign drones come back and start attacking. Our sticky-fingered little bandit rocket makes a bomb. (laughs) (laughs) 
They want their batteries back so bad, they can have them. Yeah. Well, <laughs> he, yeah, he, he just, he makes up the, the bomb. We have this great parenting scene, which if you've, or you know, if you've ever had a conversation with a three-year-old and trying to get them to understand you put your left shoe on your left foot and somehow they've managed to put it on the right foot, not once, but twice. And you're just like, but how? You have two feet and I already told you one of them was wrong. How did you manage to put it on the wrong one again? How? I Yeah, I, I really do understand Rocket in that scene very much. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Quill fights Ego with his new powers to distract him for long enough for the Guardians and for Mantis to escape. Bomb goes boom, killing Ego and disintegrating the whole planet. And after... After Ego dies, Quill loses his celestial powers because I guess they were linked to Daddy. Yondu, though, in the subsequent blast, flies out and sacrifices himself in order to save Quill and hits him with kind of a heartbreaker. Right. Because uh, so a little bit earlier, Rocket had given Yondu only one arrow pad and one uh, spacesuit. And Rocket, Rocket understood that when he handed these things to Yondu, it meant someone wasn't coming back. As he was, as he was getting Groot and the rest of the team off of Ego, so they could not be destroyed when the planet went up. And that was that was heartbreaking. As was the scene when you know Rocket's on the ship and he has to stop Gamora, like he tasers her, and then you hear Drax screaming into the the intercom, Rocket. Where's Quill? And you just, you get that, that closing of the door, and all like, ah, <laughs> I love these scenes, and like, I, I get why a lot of people don't, but man, I love them. They're, they're just, they're the heroes who have to make the gray decisions. You know, the Avengers, they get to make the, the good and the bad choices, and they're always going to choose the good ones, but the Guardians got to make the gray ones, where the good choice isn't necessarily, and unfortunately, not the right choice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so uh, after Yondu dies, uh, we get back to the ship, and Nebula and Gamora have reconciled their sisterhood, but Nebula still needs to go out on her own, because she is going to kill Thanos by herself. Girl boss energy. Delusional, but I can respect it. Yeah. Meanwhile, the Guardians hold a funeral for Yondu, in which Kraglin and all of the other Ravager ships attend and give him a proper Ravager funeral. During that funeral, we also get the confirmation of the hinted-at relationship between Gamora and Peter through the first film, and of course their kind of confirmation through this one, and they become an official couple. Aww. Yeah. I mean, th yeah, there's so many relationships that are confirmed here. You've got the uh, great little friendship that's being started between Mantis and the rest, the Guardians. Uh, you've got that parenting relationship that's going to be established between the Guardians and, and Groot going forward. Um, just a lot of real positiveness comes out of this, even in this sad instance of remembrance, you know, uh, the, the showing of one final great deed 
can at least forgive some sins of the past. Mm-hmm. I, I think these, I think the Guardians movies are kind of a nice separation from the rest of the MCU, and I really did enjoy the addition of Mantis to the team because she added a new dynamic and and just a new relationship and a new set of interaction. And of course, we'll learn more about Mantis when you talk about her her character in in the comics and then also when we see her in later films as well Mm -hmm. Uh, in the we've got a couple of post-credit scenes though we have several this one i was surprised at how many mid and post-credit scenes there were in this one Mm -hmm. Uh, the first one we get is craglin man his teeth on him (laughs) and he has taken up yondu's arrow as well as the control fin he sucks at it oh yeah Poor Craglin. I mean, he he tried. He that's that's the important part. He's trying. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Ravager leader. Uh, I'm not even gonna try that name. Uh, it is Stakar Ogord. He reunites with his teammates, and our favorite Aisha creates Adam, a new artificial <laughs> being, and he's gonna destroy the Guardians. And our baby Groot grows into teenager Groot. <laughs> and now I know how Yondu felt. It's like, yeah, 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 God, yeah. <laughs> if I ever have kids, I'm not looking forward to the teenage years. <sighs> I have nothing to say or add on that. <laughs> <laughs> Love you, kids. <laughs> um. <laughs> Yeah, so that's then that is the movie in total, and ah, uh, I mean we we covered a lot. Uh, I I know I covered the ending fight in the previous episode. I talked a lot about it, um, so I you know we don't really have to go much into that. And um, yeah, it's just it's a good time. It is an unadulterated good time. A good story, a fun cast, some fun chemistry, and it's. Goofy ensemble space drama with comedy because because Chris Pratt. I mean, all of them. They they. No, they're no, they're all, all great. So good. They're, they all they're all great, and they all have their moments. And I love the little through lines that this one had. Like even something as insignificant and stupid as that piece of fruit. Like I'm I'm like okay, they brought it up. They're gonna bring it back up again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just just little running jokes and and gags and things. Um, you know even. Drax and and everything, uh, and you know, seemingly kind of skipped over, but when it was just Mantis and Drax, and they're just kind of like kind of establishing the friendship and the connection that they're going to share. Of like, he's he's just sitting there and he's looking at the the beauty quote quote of of ego, right? And she touches him to get you know a sense of what he's feeling, and it is immense sorrow he, that he is dealing with, and and she can't control it she she just has to let all of that out and he's sitting there just like cool just you know it's not even it's on his mind it is what he's thinking about but he is not reacting to it whereas she just collapses basically underneath it her power is basically just souped up empathy and the ability to control that and influence the emotions of others so the emotional weight that someone like Drax is used to carrying 
and what he's felt for a long time was way too much for her. Oh yeah. So yeah, like the whole the whole movie is just is just great. Um I feel like we got to know everyone a little bit better. Yeah. Yeah, we really did. It, like I'd say even better than I, I think in the first one we established that we liked everyone. Um but in this one we got to know everyone and there's a big difference there. Yeah. But speaking of getting to know us, let's roll into the mid-break here and we'll talk a little bit more about the podcast. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Alright, welcome to the mid-break. Again, thank you everyone that stuck with us and if you are a part of the Patreon. Big shout out to Penguin Ninja at our superhero tier. And you too can join in on the fun by joining up via the link in the episode description. We have a patron chat at the end of every month. It's a great time. You just had your patron chat, and I unfortunately was unable to make it. I'm so grateful that you were able to hold down the fort. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, anyway, uh, if you can't support us financially, you can always drop us a review on Apple or rating on Spotify. Five-star reviews will get read out on the show. We don't currently have one at this time. Come on, guys. We're looking forward to hearing from you. Very much so. And if you just want to chat with us directly, you can always hit us up on Twitter, Insta, Facebook, and or the Robots Radio Discord, where we have a channel specifically for the show link for the Discord will also be in the show description. And speaking of shows, tell us about the Fight Space. Alright, so the Fight Space is one of the only female-led martial arts podcasts on the internet. And I am really excited because uh, Karate Combat has announced that they're doing three consecutive events in Florida. And I have been given my media accreditation for Karate Combat 39, so I will be there in about two weeks' time at the time of this one uh, dropping, this episode coming out, and I will be covering all of the action from the event, so I'm looking forward to bringing all of that to you. You can find that show on Robots Radio Network and on Spotify as well. Looking forward to everything I have going on, doing some awesome interviews, so if you're into martial arts, you want to get the inside skinny on the martial arts community at large, definitely join me on the fight space. I have a great time with that show. You've got another show on robots as well. Tell us about Blue Shift, Psych. Right. Mass Effect Blue Shift, tabletop RPG podcast that uses the fate system to tell the story of Citadel security agents solving crime on the Citadel. I play dashing human agent Jack Parizo. We are currently in the midst of a bombing crisis, and it's been a lot of fun trying to figure out how, where, when, who, like, it's just been our thing right now. Episodes drop monthly on the first Friday of the month, and yeah, I think that will wrap us up for our mid-break.
Okay, so I've only got two characters. Wow. Well, a lot of the movie dealt with characters that were made specifically for the MCU, like the Sovereign. There's no mention of the Sovereign. Um, They are an MCU creation, so that's helpful. You mean to tell me that one of the Reapers from the Mass Effect universe is in fact not a villain in the MCU? Uh, yeah. So, uh, up first, we're going to talk about Ego. Introduced with a cameo appearance in The Mighty Thor, number 132, in September 1966. And a full appearance in The Mighty Thor, number 133, in October 1966, by Stan Lee and Jack Kirby. Now, Ego, the living planet... Is just that he's a big living uh, living planet. Um, he doesn't create little like beings to go off and reproduce and all of that. He's not the father of Peter Quill, not a celestial. Uh, I mean, he's kind of part of the um, space age mythology of Marvel, but he is not a god per se and doesn't have um, giant supernatural abilities beyond being a living planet. He's kind of been a antagonist of some sort for basically the last 50 years, give or take. He's died, been turned into a seedling, and grown back several times. It's just kind of what Ego does. But Ego does whatever Ego wants. Hence the name. <laughs> yeah, he's got a planet-sized Ego. Quite literally, yes. <laughs> Alright, and now for the other major character to be introduced here is Mantis. Introduced in The Avengers number 112 in June 1973 by Steve Englehart and Don Heck. Now let me tell you right now, Problematic does not even begin to cover 616 Mantis. The original Mantis was a femme fatale creation of Englehart's. She represents the dragon lady archetype, the mysterious eastern seductress whose sexuality causes tension. Like, <laughs> that that's a very bad trope. We have a term for it. Uh, yeah? What's that term? <sighs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It gives me the ick. Yes. And, I mean, that's, again... It was the 70s, right? So you have a lot of these very not good Asian stereotypes running around in the comic book world. I mean, Marvel's really bad about it, but so was DC and several others. She's kind of a byproduct of what I, you know, the Kung Fu like wave uh, that hit pop culture at the time. Mm -hmm. It's just kind of unfortunately what it is. I hate it. Not particularly big fan of it, and I am super glad that when Gunn decided to introduce Mantis, he said, "Nope, dropped all of that, made her an alien with an insectoid thing to her, and called it good." And you know what? All the better for it. I, I think it would have been very easy to sexualize a character like Mantis, even with the changes that he made to her. But I felt like her costuming was intentionally. Um, a little bit more conservative and then also just the fact that they kind of made a running joke of Drax not even 
physically being able to be attracted to her. <laughs> like, a right, thing. yes. Uh, yeah, because, yeah. yeah. I think that was, I think it was a really good hard 180 to pull for a character that had so much bad backing. Mm-hmm. So the original Mantis is half Vietnamese, half German, uh, and she was born and basically raised in Vietnam or in a temple near, um, uh, uh, in Vietnam by alien priests. Uh, <laughs> I can't make this up. They believed her to be the celestial Madonna. And so her, her entire existence was to mate with, uh, a race, uh, the eldest of a, of a plant-based race on earth to give birth to this celestial Messiah. Like, that was her entire purpose, which, again, I can't stress this enough, I am so glad we didn't go this route in the movie. Yeah, that could have been a little weird. Yeah. When she reached adulthood, they mind-wiped her and sent her out into the world where she becomes a sex worker and barmaid in a Vietnamese bar in the 70s. Yikes. Yeah, that's bad. I don't know how to describe that for you, but that's bad. Um. <laughs> She does eventually kind of get out of all of that. Uh, she joins with, up with the Avengers, and she has some sort of... Like, they tried to introduce some sort of triangle between her and Vision and the Swordsman, and eventually, thankfully, that didn't go anywhere. She eventually just leaves, and it's partially because Englehart also left Marvel. She's one of the few characters that jumps between publishers, so she started at Marvel with, with Englehart, but when he left and he went to DC, he brought her with him. He changed her name to Willow, and then while he was at DC, she was kind of this new character named Willow for a little while. And then he jumped to Eclipse Comics, and he brought her again, and he called her Lorelei. And so he's, he's kind of continuing her story across the publishers. He was eventually brought back to Marvel, and he just brought her back over as Mantis. So yeah. He just can't, he just can't let her go. No, he really couldn't. And I couldn't, I, I don't know. I don't understand. Uh, Englehart would be the only man who could tell us why he did that so much. If you're listening, we'd love to have you on the show to discuss that. If he's listening out there in the ether somehow, somewhere, if he hears this little sound bite, if the algorithm puts this past his listening holes, please reach out. Yeah. We love to talk. We would love to talk to you, Steve Englehart. We really would. But anyway, that uh, invite aside, I have one last character to maybe just kind of talk about. It's in relation to the movie, and it's our missing in action character, and that would be Jason. That would be a J apostrophe S O N of Spartax. Uh, he was introduced in uh, Marvel Preview number 11 in June 1977 by Chris Claremont and John Byrne. And in the comics, he is the true father of Peter Quill. So in the comics, Quill is half human, half Spartoy. And that's where he gets his weaponry and, and all of his better than human attributes, you know, faster combat reflexes and stuff like that. Uh, Jason <coughs> is... A king of Spartax, he's kind of not a good person, to be honest. <laughs> so yeah, uh, I can understand why we didn't bring in the Spartaxians and, and all of that. And 
and connected it to ego overall. But at the same time, I don't know. It could have been fun. It could have been interesting. And I, I'm not 100% certain why the movies decided to drop well-established continuity of, of lineage for Peter Quill and attach it to ego. Yeah, it is a bit weird. So I, I don't know if this is a universal thing, but at least in in the South and then also as I hear it in Asian households, I, I might be Asian American, but I'm, I was not raised Asian. And uh, it's called fridge clean-out soup, where you make a soup out of whatever you can find in your fridge that needs to get used within the, the week. And I feel like Marvel chose to make fridge clean-out soup for quill's dad instead of just going with the canon one hmm maybe because like you you attached it like he, he attaches it to ego right but you were mentioning that they gave him these attributes from these other characters and just kind of like made this thing that's kind of the right guy it's the alexander pierce effect uh, yeah i i think that's what it really is is the alexander pierce effect it's just we have these more established characters let's just use them uh, making him related to ego up to the stakes. So, and it makes for great cinematic, you know, fighting in the planet's uh, center for control, all of that good stuff. I mean, it worked. It worked really well under Gunn's leadership. So, it's not. It's not so much that I'm questioning. It's just I don't know. I would like to have known why overall we decided to do it. And if I may say. Fridge clean-out soup sounds disgusting. Like, that sounds horrifying to to even think about. Ah, oh, no, no. So you just use, like, you have half a pepper sitting in a bag, and a quarter of an onion from another recipe earlier in the week, and, like, some leftover taco meat, and half a head of lettuce. You chuck it in a pot with a little bit of water and some spices, and you know, if you want to get fancy with it, you make bone broth from that rotisserie chicken you ate earlier in the week, and and then you make actually a pretty good soup. Okay, yeah, I, I don't. You're I not don't from do the that. south. I, actually, I'm in Oklahoma. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't do that. <laughs> All right, listen. If you ever come visit Florida, I'm gonna intentionally make fridge clean out uh... soup, and I'm not gonna tell you. Uh, thanks. You're welcome. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, that bit of disgustingness aside, uh, uh, that is all I really had to talk about for lore on this side. I, I mean, Mantis was the most of it, mainly because of how problematic the character is overall. And that seems to be a theme with Marvel and in, in, um, Asian characters. I mean, we talked about it with Psylocke. We talked about it with um, the Mandarin. Um, like, for all of Marvel's high and mightiness about being inclusive and doing more for uh, for to, to, to diversify their, their casts and everything, at the same time, they turn around and, and use these very harmful stereotypes. Yes, I'm talking about Marvel doing these things in the 60s and the 70s, but that would have been the time to also really ask, be asking yourselves, should we? Because, mm -hmm. I mean, that is the height of the civil rights movement. And people, literally people begging you to just treat people of color the same way as you treat white people. Mm -hmm. And so I, I feel like Marvel, they, they took some 
chances. You know, they did the Falcon. They had Black Panther. But at the same time, they're turning around and making Mantis or the Mandarin. So it's just this confusing kind of... Yeah, they just had to kind of... They, they had to put the ick somewhere. Yeah. It, it can't just go away. It, it gives the ick. It gives the ick is the statement that I would put on the harmful tropes they tend to have fallen on with the characters that they chose to create. Especially considering that those are people from my community. Yeah. But yeah, that's, I mean, that's all I have for this one. Ultimately, I'm glad that they pivoted away from those harmful stereotypes with Mantis. This movie was a good time. It was fun. And I, I think that's just a continuing thing with the Guardians. They're fun. Oh, yes, absolutely. Like, they're fun. The team works. The dynamics work. I'm happy to see Quill and Gamora finally not skirting around their chemistry and becoming a couple. I think that was well needed, and I think that Gamora's character deserves to be loved in a genuine way. Mm-hmm. And we will definitely be seeing more of the Guardians going forward. But for right now, we're going to go back to Earth, where uh, stuff's hit the fan. Mm-hmm. We've got a Captain America movie to talk about. <laughs> My favorite place to be is a Captain America film. Yeah, but let's face it, this was like a proto- Avengers movie. Like, it's a Captain America movie in all but name. Yeah, yeah. It was a little derailed. The, the the spotlight is not quite on the red, white, and blue, but I'm excited to go. Yeah. So, join us next week for Captain America Civil War. And good night, everyone. Night, everyone. As we all know, when it comes to making a movie, there are a lot of people working behind the scenes to make that movie magic happen. And it is no different when making a podcast. Welcome to the credit section of the MCU Lorecast. Captain Shanko and I would like to personally thank the following for their incredibly hard work and faith in us to get this podcast rolling. Tom, the head of the Robots Radio Network, for hosting and mentoring. In 7 Legend of the Mass Effect Lorecast for inspiration, Genesis and Vervada of the Two Girls One Ship podcast for introducing us, Let's Not, a fellow tabletop gamer and friend for the amazing artwork, Pipe Men, a veteran and friend for the outstanding music, our significant others for believing in and supporting us through this, and you, our fans, without whom this would be a vanity project. Let us know how we're doing by leaving us a review on Apple or a rating on Spotify. And, to quote Stan the Man, enough said. Do you love Dragon Age? Have you always wanted to learn more about its vast world and detailed lore? Are you still attached to your hero of Ferelden, even a decade after Dragon Age Origins came out? Or maybe you're a newer fan, still discovering a new tidbit or quest every day. Well, either way, the Dragon Age Lorecast is the podcast for you. I'm Austin, also known as Teacup. And I'm Shelby, also known as SheCup. And come and join us as we embark on a journey to explore and discover all things Dragon Age. 
We'll discuss all kinds of topics, from lyrium to the Chantry and the great mysteries of the old gods, and even more that even you Bioware superfans might not know about. So come and listen on Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast. And always remember, swooping is 